You were listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 161. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits Podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am honored and privileged to have you here for the next 30 minutes or so. Let's dive right in. We have been covering some fantastic topics, and I know... I know for some of you, last week's stigma conversation may have been a little tough to hear. And for those of you who returned, thank you and congratulations. You have thicker skin than most. We live in a world where somehow, some way, we are being told, which is now programming our unconscious mind, that if somebody disagrees with us and says something that goes against what we believe in, what our opinion is based upon, what our values and principles and morals and ethics are entrenched in, somehow that person is wrong. And we don't want to live in a world where other people can't say things that they can roll back, where other people can't say things that they can apologize for, where somebody's behavior in 1955 or 1967 or 1977 or 1987, any of the sevens, any of the decades, where we can't simply say, that's what I did then. I have learned new ways of thinking and feeling and acting and behaving since then. If what I did then offends you now, then apologies for looking back at an older version of me and not liking that version of me. I have changed. Clearly, I had looked back at that version of me and wasn't too thrilled with them either, or I'd still be acting the same way. (laughs) I think it's extremely important, and I get it. I get it. Somewhere along the way, again, it's almost like, well, you know, people don't change kind of mentality where that's who you were then, that's who you are now. Now, that's not true. Everybody changes. You can't legislate out the racism, sexism, ageism, misogynistic behavior. You can't you cannot legislate that stuff out, guys. It starts at a grassroots effort and it starts with forgiveness. Forgiveness for what happened 3, 4, 500 years ago. And an understanding that where civilization was then versus where it is now is gigantic and that we're making strides. And it may not look perfect, and it's absolutely going to be messy, and all of that is necessary to get us to move forward. And when it comes to moving forward, that one of the themes for this episode is going to be that there is no failure, there's only feedback. And we're going to group it in with a way of presenting yourself the feedback. And we're going to do that by utilizing a leadership technique that I teach called uh, Good, Grow, Great. G cubed is how I like to reference it when I'm teaching it, or the three G's. Big fan of G cubed. I don't know. It just... Sounds super cool. Maybe it's like GQ rolling off the tongue, but GQ just sounds super cool. And so I like to, that's how I like to reference it. So today's episode, we're going to discuss how there is no failure, there's only feedback, and how we're going to present that feedback to ourselves in the 3G method using good, grow, great. Now, why is this important? It's important because 
thinking that you failed at something is going to unconsciously or very consciously hold you back from choosing to do something the next time. You go and you take a test and you get back a D and you're like, well, I failed. Well, the feedback you got from that was whatever you did to prepare for that test clearly didn't work. So now the feedback you get is, how did I prepare? How can I prepare differently next time and seek a different result? If you drank the night before, you didn't study, you didn't uh, take notes, you didn't even attend class, and then you go off and you take the test and you get a D, then your feedback is, all that crap you did didn't work for you. Next time, go to class, take notes, don't drink the night before a test, and actually study. Okay, do that. Let's see what happens. If you only get a C, cool. Now you realize maybe you're not studying the most effective way. Maybe instead of trying to just read the chapter in your notes over and over again, maybe you need to go and and get a study buddy and talk it out. Maybe you're more of an auditory learner. Maybe you need to rewrite all of your notes because you're more of a kinesthetic feeling learner. Um, Maybe you need to make flashcards because you're more of a visual learner. But there is a way for you to take the grade you get, not see it as a failure, and enjoy it as feedback. This is why it's important. You are going to want to internalize your outcomes in a beneficial way. If you go off and you do things and you consistently come out of them, regardless of whether they went pretty well or not, regardless of whether they actually met your expectations, and expectations are the leading cause of frustration, regardless of whether it's exactly how you pictured it, how you choose to internalize the outcome is going to have a dramatic impact on your desire to do things in the future. I know you're going to be put into a position where you have to do things in the future, but it doesn't mean that you're going to have the best energy while you're doing that. If you keep telling yourself, I hate taking tests, and the whole time you're studying, it's like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, and you're trying to cram it in, but you got music on in the background, you got the TV running, your roommates keep coming in and out, you're not actually focused because you hate studying, so why should you even be focused? Fuck, you don't want to focus, you're not enjoying the process, so any distraction you can create for yourself, you create it. And then you don't utilize your time in a beneficial way. You go, you take the test, and you don't get an outcome that's going to provide you with the kind of grade point average that's going to either make you feel good about yourself, make your uh, make external people happy with what they're seeing from you as far as your outcomes. You know what kind of what's that? How's it going to look on your transcript? How's it going to look whenever you go to apply for jobs? Yeah, I get it. Transcripts don't ma- do not matter. Once you like, they barely matter when you get out of college, let alone after your first job. People are going to want to know you went to school, but they're going to care more about whether you can actually do, let's say, the seven powerful principles from the book I wrote that's available on Amazon and Walmart.com. Right? It's like you, if you got those seven powerful principles down and you can express during your interview how you have, you know, a growth mindset and you're courageous and you're uh, disciplined, and you're decisive, and you can take action, and you're flexible, and you're tenacious, and all of those things, boom, I'm telling you, I'd hire you over somebody who's like, I know QuickBooks really, really well, and I'm an expert at QuickBooks. Awesome. Great. I learned QuickBooks off of YouTube in two hours. I don't think that that's something that I'm going to celebrate you for. Going back to the original point, when you do things, you want to be able to step outside of yourself 
releasing the emotion and understanding that this is what you did. This is the outcome that you got. Now let's take the feedback that it provides. You could ace tests time and time again by not showing up to class, by drinking the night before the test, by not doing any studying, not taking any notes. And you might ace the test. You might just be that smart. You might just be that good. And if that's the feedback you want to take, right? Do you remember any of the information? Are you able to um, process it externally, explain it and teach it to somebody else? If you got sat down in a job interview or by a boss one day and said, hey, I need you to explain your work, could you do that? If you can do all of those things and still not pay attention and show up hungover, I mean, more power to you, I guess. If that makes you, if that makes you feel good, if that's what's going to float your boat, who am I to tell you how to behave? Do I think that over time that that's going to catch up to you? Well, I think over time, that kind of behavior of not preparing and not showing up as your best self, it catches up to everybody at some point. Right? This is where you hear about a celebrity popping off on set and getting fired. Or this is where you hear about an employee who always seemed like they had it together. And one day they just launch into a tirade at another coworker or at their boss or whomever. And next thing you know, HR is putting all their crap into a, you know, a printer paper box and escorting them off property. You're like, man, I thought they had it all together. Like eventually the comeuppance come to everyone. So you will have to monitor your own behavior. And ask yourself, is this how I want to be behaving? If you can get straight A's and never pay attention and show up and not show up as your best self, then you might just be gliding through. I would ask, imagine what you could do if you actually applied yourself. And I know you've heard that sentence before. So I apologize if it triggers you because some teacher said that to you in high school. But there's an application of yourself that will afford you the opportunity to have more opportunities than you thought were even possible. That's what applying yourself does. That's what's actually seeking your best sense of self. That's why you listen to this show. The more you apply yourself, the more you'll be able to exceed even your most highest expectations. And whenever you get this kind of level of success or quote-unquote failures, either way, regardless of how you subjectively perceive it, and subjectively means based on your own opinions, based on your own experiences. Objective is like the sun is in the sun is in the sky. That's an objective, right? It, it is there. It, you know, some people could argue, well, they have different words for skies. Some people could say, well, it doesn't really rise in the east and set in the west every single day. It's only due west and due east once a year or twice a year, and the rest of the time it's actually one degree off. You get into semantics. But there are certain things that are just objective. The human body needs water in order to live. You can't really argue with that. Go three days without water, not doing so well. You you could drink soda pop every single day and never drink any water and you could live, but I'll tell you, you won't live as long. So the objective things are like that. Those are factual. Those are things that are going to consistently give you a this a similar result. Subjective is your own opinions of it. What is your subjective perspective about your success or your previously um, labeled failures? There is no failure. It's feedback. You can say, well, I failed at that. Okay. Let's discuss why you're saying that you failed at something. What was your expectation? What did you think the outcome was going to be? 
Excellent. Now let's bring in good, grow, great. So you are, I will use my own life experience. Saturday, I went and spoke at an addiction recovery center. Now I had been looking, I was, was still, I had been looking forward to this presentation for well over six weeks. Since the moment I booked it, I've thought about the speech. I rewrote the speech. I brought in new material. I way over-prepared. I did everything I could to show up as the best version of Jesse. And in many regards, I knocked it out of the ballpark. That didn't stop the negativity, lack of self-esteem monster from lurching out when I got in the car and started driving home, and it was an hour and a half away, so I had plenty of time to tear myself down. Well, you didn't say this, and you didn't say that, and you went off on that tangent for three minutes, and then you didn't wrap it up, and you didn't bring it back. You basically just walked around and talked to these people like they were, you know, like you were doing a live podcast, and you could have done this and done that and done this and done that. I just started to tear myself apart, and it didn't feel good. And in fact, here we are on a Wednesday, that was a Saturday, and I'm still not feeling great about that. Not necessarily the speech or how it went, but how I've been treating myself since the speech. Since my own subjective perspective deemed that as a failure. I'm hard on myself. The voice inside my head is not often my own when it comes to this stuff. It's my dad when I was a kid who barely paid attention when I got straight A's, but definitely paid attention in a spare-the-rod-spoil-the-child type manner anytime I was bringing home less than A's. So I have this desire to be the best in class, to just dominate. When I do something, man, I am all in. I'm all in or I'm all out. But There's no half-assed mogul in it for me. So over the last few days, I have been like this morning when I was talking to one of my buddies, Tom Rigsby, who we who you met in episode two with the, um, I know that was a long time ago, episode two with the P4F, Priority 4 Focuses. He's like, okay, well, tell me how you think you did. And I damn near launched right into the negative stuff. And I was like, nope, nope, let's reframe this. What did I do good? So I went over the things that I did good. I looked people in the eye didn't stutter. My voice didn't shake. I picked the good times to move the body like back and forth to either side of the room. I picked really good times to stand still. I knew when to raise my voice and be super excited. I knew when to lower my voice and get very kinesthetic and drop down into more of feeling words. Like these were some amazing things I did. And it's been a long time because COVID got in the way that I've stood in front of this many people at one time and spoken. It was awesome. It was awesome. The momentum I had going into COVID, I mean, I was starting to build 20, 30, 40, 50 room stages, and I meant people, 20, 30, 40, 50 people in a room, um, those kind of stages. And so it was like, awesome. I, mean, I cannot wait to see where 2020 takes me until it derailed my life, just like it derailed yours. And then here we are, finishing up 2022, been in Huntsville for about a year. It takes a while to establish connections. Now I'm starting to get some stages. I'm starting to get some platforms. So I I went away and said, okay, that's what I did that was good. And then it came time for the grow. The grow is one of the most important parts because when you say grow, that's the things that you're looking to increase for yourself. Those are the things that you're looking to get better upon. Rather than saying, this is what I did badly, 
It's now, this is where I can grow. We put good in the front because it's a natural human reflex to immediately want to start tearing ourselves down for things that we've done. It's built into us from the caveman era where, you know, if you felt safe and you weren't paying attention to what was going on around you, you didn't have situational awareness, then you ate a poison berry or, you know, a woolly mammoth stepped on you. It's just built into us from thousands and thousands and thousands of years that if we are not paying attention and we're in a super good mood, then next thing you know, you know, a giant wasp creature is going to pick us up and carry us off to the hive. It's programmed in. I mean, if you really think about it, up until the end of World War II, the world was a pretty dangerous place. I mean, think about what was going on. I know you're all young, so maybe you don't know anything about the history of America. But even as much as recently as 1920s, when the Great Depression started to hit, when poverty existed well before the stock market crash in 1929. But when that went down, this country just turned poor. And people were starving, and they were working in horrible conditions, and it was, life was just generally unsafe. Go back to the wild, wild west, regardless if those movies are accurate or not, there was definitely not a whole lot of police and a whole lot of people carrying guns. Go further back, and you've got the frontier being you know, first adventured upon, and us coming across the natives, and those, those exchanges not always going well. Keep going back, and it's just literally living in a world where some crazy tyrants riding horses with swords could just come into your village and torch the whole thing down. World War II ends, and we relatively become a safe country. Crime exists, mass shootings are happening, but for the most part, we are all pretty pretty confident we're going to go to bed at night and wake up in the morning and they're going to do that day in and day out. And that's not the way civilization was for thousands upon thousands of years. So back to the original point of that whole history lesson was that we live with a brain that naturally wants to tell us what's wrong, what we're not doing right, because being wrong back in the day could have meant death. It was literally the difference between life and death. If you are not paying attention, the snake is going to bite you, the spider is going to bite you, the poison berries are going to kill you, the you know the bear in the woods is going to get you. Well, our brains, even though we now have safety all around us, for again, for the most part, I'm not blind to the fact that there are certain neighborhoods and certain communities that are not, but for the most part, we get to live in a sense of safety. And for those of you who don't have that relative sense of safety, I, that saddens me greatly. I really hope that we can figure out as a society how to create that kind of sense of safety for everyone. Because people should not have to leave their house on the way to school and wonder if they're going to get shot or hurt. That breaks my heart. But that's a topic for another show. Just understand there is some empathy and compassion there as we talk about safety. Moving your brain from a sense of, I'm always going to be hurt if I'm happy. I'm always going to be hurt if I'm not paying attention to the bad things around me. It can be tough. It can be difficult. And as we start to journey through life, we still have that, 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 that intuition, that inclination, that if we get happy, if we're not paying attention to what's going on around us, then we're going to get it. 
So you turn in an assignment and you come back and then you don't get the best grade. You, I go off and I give a speech and I leave and I start to judge myself harshly because my brain's like, hey, you don't figure this stuff out. You could die. Not like this moment, but if this business of yours doesn't succeed, you won't have financial stability. If you don't have financial stability, you don't have food on your plate. You can't afford a cell phone. You can't afford Wi-Fi. You can't afford rent. And then next thing you know, you're living in a van down by the river, and that's definitely unsafe. And we don't want that. So pay attention to all the things you did bad. When we walk through our lives with this energy, we're focused only on what we didn't do right, what we did badly, where we failed. Then we, fa- then we fail to see the f- positive feedback and our growth in these areas. This morning when I'm explaining how the speech went to, my, to Tom Rigsby, and I want to launch right into the negative, he stops and he's like, no, what did you do good? What was your outcome? Did you achieve it? My outcome was to introduce people to the podcast, and explain to them how amazing uh, a life of sobriety and recovery can be. Mission accomplished. I did it. I did that. Whether I said everything exactly the way I wanted, whether I followed the outline exactly the way I practiced it, regardless of all of that, I reached the outcome. These people felt excited, at least the ones who wanted to feel excited, and I got my point across. Where can I grow? Awesome. I can grow by, you know, um, having a more defined outline of the speech, by practicing it a little bit more so that if I do all of a sudden feel an emotional surge during the speech, that I'm able to reel it in and focus back in on the content and on the people there, right? I could, maybe I, maybe I was pacing back a little bit more, back and forth a little bit more than I would have preferred. I stood behind the podium way more than I would have preferred, I didn't use the dry erase board that was there. Okay, could obviously, you know, incorporate that next time. I had to skip over a ton of material because I kept sidebarring into other little teaching points. I'm not going to be able to teach everything I know in one hour. It's not possible. So let's give them something that is actionable and relevant to their life now so they leave there knowing they received value and knowing what their next action step can be in this particular area that the speech covered. Great. That's where I can grow. And then again, then you finish with great. What did I do great? What I did great, I showed up 30 minutes before the speech. My clothes were on point. I showed up looking professional. I spoke professionally. I looked people in the eyes. I made connections. I built rapport. I absolutely went in there. I I made a, a plan to show up at one o'clock, I followed through. I stuck around after, had some great conversations with some of the employees there, shook hands, got to meet some of the people that were in attendance, and I really connected with the audience. Those were some of the things I did great. Now, by utilizing Good Grow Great, I get to walk out of there realizing there's a ton of stuff that I did extremely well that a year, two, three, four years ago, maybe I wouldn't have done similarly. Maybe it would have been differently. Those would have been different good grow greats. And by exercising this muscle of looking at and and talking about and feeling into your, your feedback opportunities, releasing this desire of seeing them as a failure. There is no failure. There's only feedback. It's feedback. 
back. You could, you could, in theory, flip this as well and be like, there are no successes, there's only feedback. I mean, look at somebody like Michael Phelps. Some people get, you know, a few gold medals and a bronze, and they think, that's pretty cool, I'm a pretty great Olympian. Yeah, he took those successes as feedback. Well, I didn't win every event, so how about I practice this next time around and I win all seven events that I'm in? And then he goes to Beijing and he wins seven golds. And then he takes that success and uses it as feedback and says, let's see what I can do in London. And then he takes that success and uses that feedback and goes to Brazil or one or the other. But anyways, the dude was in like four Olympics. That's 16 years. He just took his successes and he used them as feedback. And he probably did a good girl great as well. So either way, and again, failure and success are subjective. One person's failure is another person's success. Hey, I got up this morning um, and got showered before noon. To somebody who gets up at 5 a.m. and runs marathons before breakfast, that might seem like failure. To somebody who's massively depressed and sad and, you know, and going through a lot of emotional turmoil, getting up and showering before 12 is, <laughs> that is winning a marathon. Some, one person's success is, can easily be perceived as a failure by somebody else. I say this when it comes to relationships and dating. One person's, I never want to see you again, is another person's, I've been looking for you everywhere. Just because you didn't like him doesn't mean that that somebody else won't. And they won't be the exact partner they've always been seeking. Somebody may break up with you and you may think, I'm never going to be loved and nobody will ever love me. Just because that person doesn't want to see you again doesn't mean that somebody else isn't out there searching for you everywhere. So take a shower, put on some clothes, run a comb through your hair, and get out there and start meeting people. Each relationship has an opportunity to be seen as feedback. It's not failure. You can do this with anything in your life, with dating, with a conversation you have with your parents today, with a communication opportunity with your best friend, with how you communicate with your teacher when you're doing extremely well and you want to go by for some help in the office hours or when you're not doing so well and you want to go by for some help in the office hours. How, how did you articulate the issues that you're having with the class? That's can be good, grow, great. How did they really feel into how they could be helping you? There's a good, grow, great opportunity. Did you articulate it well? Do they really feel that your desire to do well in this class? Do they have a, a strong sense of your own self-awareness that you're not doing as well as you could be and you're going to apply yourself more, which is going to evoke the desire in them to help you more? Anything in your life can be good, grow, great because every single time you interact with yourself in your own head or with anyone else, that's a communication moment. That's an opportunity for connection through communication. And instead of beating yourself up in your head and and only paying attention to your perceived failures, you can now ask yourself, what is the feedback this circumstance, this moment, this event is providing me? What is the feedback here? What did I do good? Where can I grow? What did I do great? Then rinse, wash, repeat. Continue to do this in any aspect, any area of your life. Overall, I am extremely happy with the way that that speech went. I learned so much 
from that one hour, I've already come home. I've written out 10 different content blocks that all come out to 13 minutes. I've organized them exactly the way I know people are more prone to learning why, what, how, what, if in that order. Right? I've made sure that I've mixed in different sensory communication words to make sure that I can tap in to their unconscious mind that will that will trigger them to want to pay attention. Right? It's, this is the site. This is the science and psychology of communication. And some people will be like, "Dude, you are looking way too deep into this." Or, "Wow, that can sound a little bit like manipulation. You using science and words to make people pay attention." I just want to influence them to pay attention. What they do with the information afterwards is completely up to them. That's where they have to take on their own personal responsibility. I mean, if you look at life around you, there's so much where people have done the psychology and the science of why we use smartphones the way we we do. Food science has added sugar and salt to damn near every single thing to make them more tasty, to make them more delicious so that you'll keep coming back and eating them over and over and over again. This stuff is happening all around you. You are being manipulated by food companies and tech companies and and marketing and advertising and media companies time and time again. They're going right at your brain and they're getting it where it's good. They're going at your emotional center and they're using unconscious um, communication styles and patterns to make sure that they tap in to that little six-year-old version of you who's still inside your head who just wants to eat cocoa pebbles and watch cartoons all day. It's happening all around you. So you should be using it for yourself. Use this psychology of science on yourself. Use the psychology of communication for your own good. And it starts with understanding how you judge your outcomes. There is no failure. There's feedback. And you take that feedback and you, and you run it through good, grow, great. Because the feedback you're going to get right out the gate is generally not going to be as uplifting for you as you would prefer. Even the most egotistical person who wants to walk away from something saying, I kicked its ass, I dominated it, you all suck, I am the best. They can say that in front of you all they want. And then they're going to get in their car or they're going to go into the bathroom and and take a shower. They're going to be brushing their teeth and they are going to start tearing themselves down. No matter how much of a facade somebody puts up in front of you about how confident they are, Inside of us is that little child who just wants to be told that we're good enough. We are all addicted to love and connection. That's what we desire as human beings more than anything else. Love and connection can bring us safety. It can bring us security. It can bring us that certainty that somebody is going to be there for us when we need them. All of our human needs are going to be wrapped up and tied into that love and connection. And the first person who should love you The first person you should feel connected to as often as possible. And I wanted to say all the time, every single day, no matter what, but let's face it, once in a while, we look in that mirror and the person who's supposed to love us the most is the first one to start tearing us down. Yourself. I have been beating myself up for five days now. It has not felt good. And when I start to do that, I run this whole speech, this whole presentation through good, grow, great. And I remind myself that there is no perfection. I am not a perfectionist. I am a progressionist. I seek progress. 
I seek movement forward. Doing anything toward building this career and this platform and helping people out there with their mental health and their communication and their leadership. Anything toward that is better than just sitting in this office, creating stuff, not posting it, not sharing it, not speaking about it. Because then I'm just in my little safe cocoon where no one can tell me I'm wrong, where no one can tell me that it doesn't make sense, where no one can tell me you don't help me at all. I can just sit inside this little office overlooking the woods with my deer eating the corn in order to get success in what it is I'm choosing to do in what you're choosing to do as well. You have to step outside of the safety of your creativity cocoon, your bedroom, your lab, wherever it is that you feel the safest to create and do do what it is you do, your garage while you're fixing cars, whatever it is. Eventually you got to go out there and you got to perform it in front of other people especially if you expect to get paid for it. You got to mail those bracelets off on Etsy. You got to post your pictures on Instagram. You got to put up an ad for car repair services, you know, on Google, whatever it is. You got to post your resume on Indeed to prove to somebody that you have the knowledge to help their business continue on and thrive. We don't get to exist in a bubble. At some point, we have to step outside of the lab outside of the pool, outside of something, and go and be underneath the lights. Michael Phelps swam thousands of miles with nobody but his coach watching. And if he never showed up to Beijing, people wouldn't remember his name. At some point, he had to get out of that pool in Baltimore. He had to get on a plane and step into the brightest lights that anybody has ever put themselves under. No Olympian has ever done what he did. But he could not have achieved that swimming the fastest time in Baltimore. He couldn't have achieved it if every single day he got out of that pool, went into the shower, and just whipped his own ass for not shaving one one one-thousandth of a second off of his freestyle. I promise you, he was using a growth mindset and encouraging himself. And it wasn't like he was letting those one one one-thousandths of a second just be ignored. He was paying attention to them, but he was also monitoring with his coach, Scott Bowman. He was monitoring where he was getting better, where he could continue to grow, and what he had done great that day. Whether he uses the same verbiage or not, as I'm doing with you right now, he was doing this. The greats can see where they're good. They can definitely see where they need to grow. And they absolutely know That continued action towards that goal is where they'll achieve greatness. You can do it too. When you embrace that you are not failing by taking action, you are gaining feedback. The only way you fail is when you quit. And I just got chills when I said that. So I know that that was the way I was supposed to end this show. Only way you fail is when you quit. And even that is feedback. Even that is feedback. Feedback on maybe you didn't really ever want to do it to begin with. Maybe feedback on how you could start something the next time so that you don't, I don't know, injure your shoulder or feel demoralized. But I remember reading that somewhere, that the only way you ever fail in life is when you quit. 
because you may not do it amazingly the first 999 times. You ask Thomas Edison how important that 1,000th time was. In fact, if you're anywhere near an electricity lit up light bulb, <laughs> you need look no further than what 1,000 times of trying. Even trying, even that word trying sucks. He didn't try, he did. He created a light bulb. It just wasn't one that stayed lit for more than a second, or it wasn't one that didn't catch on fire, or it wasn't the one that would be a, you know, that would cost, you know, $400 to keep lit, or had, you know, $400 worth of materials in it. He created 999 light bulbs before he created the thousandth one that actually was going to be mass consumerable. So he didn't try, he did. He just kept working on it until he got it better, and you can do the same. All right, my friends, as always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Until we meet again, take care out there. Bye-bye. 